Again, good morning. My name is Nathan. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, why don't we pray together, um, and then we'll enter into this story of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you continue to speak to us as your people, even on these words written so long ago, uh, words that uh, may not necessarily be intuitive to understand, um, strange stories sometimes. And yet, God, we believe that through your Holy Spirit, you've inspired these words for us, for our edification, and for your glory. And so, God, I pray that as we center ourselves around this story today, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you'd give encouragement where we need encouragement, comfort for those who need comfort, God, and correction and rebuke, conviction for those of us who need that. We trust you for these things, Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen. So do you remember Circuit City? Remember that? I mean, I used to love that place, right? I mean, I bought my first laptop there. I mean, how many CDs and DVDs? Like, remember those? I mean, even that is like, all of it feels like some distant memory from like a really, really strange world. And what makes their demise like even sort of weirder for me uh, is that in 2001, in probably my favorite leadership book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, he highlights Circuit City as like one of the great companies, right? In fact, in 2008, by 2008, 11 of those companies were really struggling or just completely gone. I mean, companies like Circuit City, Fannie Mae, Motorola, I mean, whatever happened to them, right? HP, companies that, that went from good to great and were highlighted in this book, and then just seven years later, were either on decline or basically non-existent. What happened? And so, of course, Jim Collins had to write another book, right? That's what you do. Um, how, the, how the Mighty Fall is, was his, his next one. And in this one, he outlines what happened. Like he looks at these individual stories and he, he finds one particular thing that all of them had in common. One ingredient that led to deep struggle and even in some cases, just their complete annihilation. One thing. And the reality is this, this one thing doesn't just destroy companies. You can destroy families, marriages, friendships, nations, churches. It can destroy lives, and it can destroy souls. The word Collins uses for this one thing is hubris. It's kind of an old-fashioned word, but basically it just means pride following repeated success. Like the kind of pride that comes after, like you've just been good, so good so many times, right? So often you've, been, you've succeeded over and over and over again that you begin to think, well, we're unstoppable. We're invincible. Nothing can touch us. We can't go wrong. That is hubris. And that leads to destruction. You see, success can actually be more dangerous than failure. I know, sounds, sounds insane, right? doesn't seem possible. We love success. We hate failure. But if you really think about it, success can be more dangerous to your soul than failure. And I'm, listen, I, like, I've, I've been afraid of failure most of my life. Many of us are afraid of failure. 
We build our lives on success. We go after success. And yet, according to the story of Uzziah, and if you take some of Jim Collins' words seriously, perhaps we should be more afraid of success. Because at least failure leads to humility, right? But success? Listen, I want to be successful at everything, right? I know you do too, right? Some of us, again, we have built our lives on this. We've, we've devoted everything. We pursue it at any cost. But if it leads to pride, hubris, oh, that's way more dangerous than failure. That can kill you. And it can kill you forever. If you haven't already, turn to 2 Chronicles. That is actually a book in the Bible. Sounds like, sounds like some, something from like Harry Potter or Percy Jackson, right? The book of Chronicles, right? Uh, and if you don't know where to find uh, 2 Chronicles, it's right after 1 Chronicles. So easy peasy. You've got this. Uh, you, might, you might just, yeah, use your phone, use the Bible app, or look at the table of contents. Um, I don't know if I've ever actually preached out of 2 Chronicles before, I, even the whole book. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, and Uzziah in particular, I mean, this guy, let me just say, so we're, we're in this series called Forgotten Family. Like, we're going through these forgotten stories that we still really need today. Uh, and one of, when one of our pastors said, what about King Uzziah? My first thought literally was, that's not a real person. Who? Right? I mean, it sounds like a Bible name, but that can't, that can't actually. I was like, I, I'd rather not, okay? But then as I began studying this a couple weeks ago, like, oh, man, we really do need this story. Like, this, this it's, it speaks to me and my own desire for success, right, and the, the pride that so often follows. It speaks to us as a culture profoundly. We need this story. So take, take a look. In 2 Chronicles 26, it's, a, it's another long story that we have here. And we hear just a few verses read, so we're going to kind of sprint through it, kind of pull out some different things along the way, but you can follow along certainly in your Bibles. But, but it starts off, like Uzziah, he starts great, actually. Like maybe you even picked up on that if you could get through all of those difficult Bible words in there. But he's, he's only 16 when he becomes king. I mean, think about that, first of all. Okay, so students... Like, your parents don't even want to hand you the keys to their car. Like, Uzziah gets the keys to an entire nation. It's like a 16-year-old president for life, basically. So he's, he's young at the beginning of this story. He's inexperienced, probably more than a little bit terrified. And in that place of vulnerability and weakness, knowing that he's just a hair's breadth away from failure... He seeks God. He knows he can't lead a nation on his own. He knows how desperate he is. And so as a young man, he turns to God. Verse, verse 5, for example, it says, He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And so in his, in his faithfulness to God, he, he moves from being a good boy to being a great king. And, and it's really clear in this story, I mean, you probably even picked up on some of the phrases as Audrey read for us, that he couldn't have done it without God. That God was orchestrating everything behind the scenes for Uzziah. That God made him prosper. Do you see that there? God made him prosper. 
or even in, in verse 7, right? It says God helped him against the Philistines. And skip down a little bit further in. And his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. And then we get this long list of all of his accomplishments, right? Not just, not just military victories, but he, he establishes himself as, as this like sort of master builder, right? He's got these designers working for him. He's, he's building all like towers and, you know, machines to, to shoot arrows and, and great stones. He builds cisterns. He, he grows rich with livestock and vineyards. And he builds an unstoppable army. Success after success after success. And then we read these words in verse 15. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped by God till he was strong. Marvelously helped. I mean, every, every success he had was from God. I'm sure, Uzziah, I'm sure he worked hard. Right? I'm, I'm sure he practiced his trade. And I'm sure that he was well-educated, his skills, right? All of that. But let's be honest, like each of us, in our successes, he was marvelously helped by God until he was strong. Yikes. What happened when he was strong, right? Until he was successful. What, I mean, what happened? Because I, like, I want to be strong, right? Strength is good. We want that, but look, look where it leads. Because in the next section then of the story, at this point, Uzziah, he's likely in his 40s or 50s, maybe even older at this point. So he's old enough at this point of the story to have developed quite a resume, right? We just, we just read it. Like, it's, it's pretty impressive, but he knows it. And his kingdom is in the best place that it has been for generations, and he knows it. He's at the top of his career, the top of his earning bracket, and the top of his ego. So much so that he's blind to the pride that is growing in his heart like a weed, choking out his soul until it's too late. And we know the stories, don't we? Like, we know the Uzziahs in our, in our lives, in our world. We've seen this happen to people, haven't we? I mean, I think of, I think of different pastors and ministry leaders, people that I, you know, when I was younger, looked up to as, as heroes. And to see some of them do terrible things behind closed doors, hiding behind their success. They looked so good. No one was going to question them. Or we think of husbands and wives whose marriages slowly deteriorate because they think their past successes will be enough to carry them. Or maybe, maybe there's a friend, right, who is who's so successful, you don't even think to confront their anger or their drinking or their gossip or the unhealthy patterns you see emerging in their lives. Or maybe you are just so successful like, well, yeah, I'm a bit of a workaholic, and yes, occasionally I cut corners, and no, I don't treat everyone quite the way I should, but hey, like if it was that bad, how could I be so successful, right? How could things be going so well for me? Because that's, that's the scariest part. Pride blinds us to all of it. I mean, we are experts 
at pointing out the pride in others. Like, you can't miss it, right? You know. Like, we all know when we see it in others. And we are experts at justifying it in ourselves. I'm not entitled. I've earned it. I'm not greedy. I'm ambitious. I'm not ruthless. I'm a hard worker. I haven't forgotten God. I just don't need him very much in this part of my life. Verse 15. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Because success can be more dangerous to our souls than failure. So how was he unfaithful? Like, this is an important part of the story. How, how was he unfaithful? Well, if you keep reading in this, it says that he entered the temple to burn incense. Wait, what? His downfall was that he went to church? That's what it sounds like to us, doesn't it? Like, how could that possibly have been a bad thing for this guy? Like, what's wrong with burning incense in the temple? Well, that was the, that was the priest's job in that culture. And so in that culture, like, this is actually a major breach of power. He's setting himself up to be both priest and king. He, he's saying in this act, he's like, being a king is not quite enough for me. I'm going to also do this job, right? Maybe sort of like if the, if the president barged into the Supreme Court and set himself up as the, you know, uh, the, the um, justice, like the, the chief justice, right? Like, you can't do that. Like, there's, there's divisions of power and purpose. Like, if the president did that, we would recognize it instantly as an egregious power grab, taking terrible hubris, right, and even treason, right? That's, that's what's happening here with Uzziah. Uzziah thinks that he is successful enough to do both. He's checked the king thing off his list. He's crushed it. So how about I try this too? I can do everything, Right? And then you, you add to that. So that's just sort of the political side of things. But if you add, then add to that, like to approach God in the temple in the Old Testament, like you needed a, a mediator, a priest. Like we're not holy, you and I. I don't know if you know that. We're pretty broken, pretty messed up, pretty sinful, pretty selfish, aren't we? But God is holy. And so we, we need someone to stand in, in the gap as a buffer between God's holiness and our sin. So not only is Uzziah making this sort of political power grab here, he, he actually thinks he's good enough. He, he thinks, like, everything I do is great, everybody. Me and God, we're like, we're like this, right? Only God can be both priest and king. Only God is sinless and holy. But pride at its root declares, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, powerful enough. I can be my own God. This is why C.S. Lewis calls pride the complete anti-God state of mind. Which is why, oh church, success can be more dangerous to your soul than failure. So the priests confront the king. 
think about that. We could do all, I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? The kind of courage that would take. I can't even imagine doing that. To a king this powerful, this successful, they confront him. Verse, verse 18, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. And Uzziah in that moment could have said, oh, gosh, what was I thinking? Like, my bad. Like, it's not, at this moment, it's like, it's not too late for him to say, God, forgive me. But he doesn't. Blinded by his success, Uzziah gets angry. Which is just so classic pride, isn't it? In that moment of confrontation, pride just digs its heels in. Verse 19, then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, so he was ready to do it, right? And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they rushed him out quickly. And he himself, at that point, he knew, he himself hurried to go out. Because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. Leprosy? I realize, like, we don't really like it when God does that kind of thing, right? It makes us a little uncomfortable, right? Man, is sin really that bad? Makes us maybe a little bit fearful, like, oh boy. I don't want that to happen to me, right? But church, this is God's mercy in this moment. I mean, Uzziah just tried to like do a coup on God, essentially. Like tried to, tried to overthrow the Holy One. And maybe, just maybe, this leprosy will be what it takes to humble him. Sometimes humiliation is God's mercy in our lives. It's on his forehead. So commentators kind of debate, like, why on on the forehead? There's a lot of different ideas there. Like, why was it there? Especially because they clearly say, like, the thing was in his hand. So why why wasn't the leprosy in his hand, but it's on his forehead? I think many many would suggest, and I think this is right, it's it's because you, you can't hide what's on your face. Right, and it's it's almost like God is saying, like to Uzziah, like this is what's in your heart. Let me show everybody for for his ultimate like humbling, right? To take the pride from him, like the sin in his heart has been made visible in his face. It is hideous and distorted. I mean, you would you would cringe if you saw someone with leprosy, just as we would cringe if we could see the pride that lives in our hearts. Wouldn't we? If we could really see it. It reminds me of one of my favorite books. The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. It's an old book. It's not very long. It's, it's really, really good if you haven't read it. But essentially the plot of this, this book is this, this young man makes a deal with evil, essentially. To, to stay young and beautiful, like to always look great, be, to be powerful, successful, and, and no matter what he does, right, he doesn't, he's limitless. He has ultimate, like, unlimited freedom. 
And as, as long as you know, he lives, he never, he never ages, he never really feels the effects of sin. It's like he's invincible. But there's a picture of him up in his attic. Do you know the, do you know the story? And, and over time, he can go visit the picture, he can go look at himself, and it, it, originally it starts off and it looks just like him, but over time it gets uglier and uglier, more distorted and contorted and hideous. And the idea is that that's, that's what he really looks like on the inside. And it builds and it builds and builds. It gets uglier and uglier. Like, this is, this is what it's doing to his, to his soul. In the 1943 film version, the entire movie is black and white until the end when you see the painting of what Dorian Gray really looks like inside. The painting still hangs in the Chicago Art Museum. It's hideous. Look at it. Look at this. It's horrifying. But what Oscar Wilde is, is saying, whether he realizes it or not, and what's happening in this story, like this, this is what sin is. This is what it does. This is hubris. This is pride. Except you look, you look amazing on the outside. And this is what's so dangerous. Who can argue with a successful person? But everything looks great in your life. Who's, who's going to say, you know what? You should really think about this. It makes us feel like we're unstoppable, but, but inside lepers. And so God, in his infinite mercy, gives Uzziah his own Dorian Gray moment, makes the ugliness in his heart visible on his face for everyone to see. And perhaps, maybe, 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 it'll be enough to humble him. Yikes. Makes me wonder, what is, what is it going to take to humble me? Or maybe, maybe, maybe a better question is like, how do we not get there, right? How do we not get to that point, right? What can we learn from Uzziah's story before it's too late for us? Well, I, think, I think there are three warning signs in this story. Again, success can be more dangerous to your soul than failure. And it's not that, listen, it's not that failure is good, right? Don't try to fail. It's not, that's not the goal here. It's that when you're failing, you know that you're failing, right? Like you don't pat yourself on the back when your life is a mess. You, you know your need, right? It's easier to cry out like we sang a few moments ago that we, we depend on you, right? When you're, when you're failing, you know it. Unless, unless of course, you write snarky uh, green cards. A friend showed me this uh, this week. Listen, listen to this card. It says, so I, would ab- I would say that I'm absolutely crushing it at life, minus not having very much money and consistently making bad choices. Like, nobody, nobody says that, right? We all know better. We don't celebrate our failures. But we can be blind to our successes. And so if we're blind, how do we see it, right? We have to look for the warning signs. There's, there's three of them here, three warning signs. Pride forgets, pride ignores, and pride rejects. First, pride forgets God. Pride forgets God. Because it's obvious in the story that the narrator makes it clear multiple places that who should get the credit for Uzziah's success, right? Like you can't miss it. It's God, right? He was marvelously helped. And you might, not, you might not be a king of anything. 
You might not have as long a resume, impressive list of successes and accomplishments. But if you think for a moment that you haven't been marvelously helped by God, you're fooling yourself. I mean, the, the moment... The moment we begin to think, I made this happen, whatever it is, we are on a dangerous path, people. I mean, at the very least, you've been given life, right? The fact that you're born in this time period, to, in this nation, to those parents, in this culture, like none of which you had any control over. Some of the inherent gifts and abilities, yes, perhaps you've worked really hard. I have no doubt. I'm sure you have. But the moment we say, I did it, it's a moment that we forget we've been marvelously helped. And it is the beginning of death. So even, even take just a moment, like what are those places in your life right now when you're most te- tempted to forget God? When you're most tempted to think, I got this, I don't, I'm not gonna, I don't need to pray. I don't need to think about, like, I, I, I got this part of my life. Like, I'm in control here. What are, those, what are those spaces where you're quick to pat yourself on the back, take note of those places, and daily remind yourself and thank him for the ways in which you've been marvelously helped? That's the first warning side when we begin to forget. Forget God. Second, pride ignores limits. Pride ignores limits. Uzziah ignored the fact that he was not a priest. Like that there were, there were God-imposed limits to his kingly power. You can be a king and you have a lot of power if you're king, but God still has limits for you. And honestly, church, we ignore God's limits all the time, don't we? Limits that he has given to us for our good. Like to remind us of our humanness and our need. Like just for example, like our physical limits. Cramming more into a day than anyone should. Forgetting how desperately we need sleep. I mean, if you aren't consistently getting enough sleep, or you're always exhausted or overworking, there's a good chance it's because you actually think you're God and that you have to do it all. Or if you, if you refuse to take a day off, like an actual day off, like a Sabbath, like rest and worship, right? It's crazy to think that this is the one of the Ten Commandments we don't think we need, right? Like that's how, that's how arrogant we are. It's like, ah, we'll take nine out of ten, Right? I don't need to rest. I have too much to do. Those are statements that can only be said by God. And even he rested on the seventh day to show us how. If you can't take a day off, there's a good chance it's because you think you're the God of the universe. And if you don't do it, it won't get done. We ignore we ignore our physical limits. We ignore financial limits, right? Spending outside of our means. We, our relational limits, sexual limits, food and alcohol limits. There are all kinds of limits in our world that are there for our good. Again, to remind us that we're not God. That we are needy creatures 
created by him. And when you see yourself doing this, taking just a little bit more, a little step past those limits, take note, church. It might be pride leading to your destruction because that's what pride does. It ignores limits. And then the last thing we see here is that pride rejects correction. Because Uzziah here, he had a chance, didn't he? Like he could have responded to the priest with something other than anger. He could have stopped. He didn't have to become a leper. My friends, a great test of, of the pride that lives in my heart and yours is how we respond when people correct us. If God's word corrects you, or a pastor, or a friend, or a spouse, or a child, or a parent, or a sibling, if you can't receive that, listen, it's too late for Uzziah. It's not too late for you, or me. Pride forgets, pride ignores, pride rejects. But there is, there is one habit, I think, one sort of act of resistance that we can do every single week that helps keep us from these dangers, that reminds us who we are at, at our core as needy creatures that recenters us. And, and maybe this sounds too simple, right? Maybe, maybe it just sounds predictable, like something a pastor would say. But you see, Uzziah, like his downfall came from an abuse of worship. Because you and I were created for worship. We're, we're created to regularly come before this God, exposed of how needy we are and how wondrous and beautiful he is. I mean, if only Uzziah had worshipped God rightly, this would have humbled him, it would have tethered him, it would have strengthened him. Worship puts God in his place and us in ours. And while you and I, we may not have a temple to go to, right? We do have God's church. And we desperately need one another. We desperately need this, this weekly rhythm of worship and community. Every week, not occasionally, not when it fits your schedule, right? Not when it's convenient. Every week. Like, church, this is life or death stuff we're talking about here. Because this is the place that we remember and celebrate that God is real. And, and we're not him. It's the place where we remind ourselves of our limits because we see God with, with awe and beauty and wonder. It shows us our need. It reminds us that we don't have to carry the weight of the world, that we can re receive those limits with joy, that we're not God, and aren't you glad? And it's where we receive correction from God's word and from one another. We need this place, and we need each other. For it is here that we encounter the ultimate gift that shatters our pride. Because essentially, again, what, what Uzziah is trying to do is be his own priest, his own mediator. Which even though it sounds probably weird to many of us, that's, that's what we try to do all the time, right? We try to prove that we're successful enough, good enough, obedient enough. We, we vote the right way. We're passionate enough about the right things, right? If I get enough likes, if I'm popular enough, attractive enough, on and on and on. We constantly are trying to plead our, our case before God and others. Just tell me I'm okay. Tell me that my life is worth living. 
And when we do that, it'll ruin us just like it ruined Uzziah. Oh, but church, we have a better mediator, a better priest, who because of his life, death, and resurrection welcomes us into the very, into the very heart of God. That we don't, we don't have to stand far off. We don't have to, to slink in the dark. That Jesus welcomes us reminding us that he had to die in order to rescue us. It's humiliating, isn't it? But that he was glad to do it out of his love for you, which, which exalts us and gives, gives us such joy that Jesus is our, our priest and king and he, he longs to take our leprous hearts and to make them whole again, welcoming into us into the very presence of God, delighting in us, not tolerating us, but loving us as children with awe and with wonder, breaking us from our pride, freeing us from our endless strivings and giving us everything we need for joy. Let's pray to him now. Let's pray. And actually, before, before we do that, before we come to communion, let's, let's just take a moment and pray quietly. Maybe pray through those, those three categories of where are we forgetting God? Where are we ignoring uh, the limits? Where are we rejecting um, correction? Just take a moment, reflect, confess those things to God, and then I'll pray and lead us into communion. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Would you expose the pride that lives in our hearts? Not, not out of fear or out of shame, but because bringing those things into the light is where you can do that renewing and healing work in us. God, would you show us the ways that we forget you, or the ways in which we reject the limits or the correction of others? And would you wash us again in your forgiveness? Remind us that you are our God and that we owe everything to you. And I pray that in, in so doing, that would, that would result in our joy. Knowing, knowing that we, we don't have to prove ourselves anymore. We don't have to be terrified of failure anymore that you are the one who pleads our case through your life, death, and resurrection. So we give you thanks, Lord Jesus. And even now as we come to your table, we pray that we would experience you and that you would fill us with great joy. We pray that in Christ's name.